Street House Podcast, where we gather at the table to hear each other's stories. I'm your host, Angie Smith, and I am so glad that you're here. Please pull up a chair and join us. Welcome to the table. We are doing our series on what should I know about adoption and the two-part series. So this is going to be the second part. And today we're talking about what should I know about adoption from the side of an adoptive parent. And I have my friend Chrissy Durston with me today. And I, I don't know that I've ever told this story, but the first time we go to church together and have lots of mutual friends. And the my first impression, the first story I heard about Chrissy was... Yeah, when she was young, like just before she got married, she adopted two older girls. And and then I was like, okay, I'm not sure that we'll be friends because she sounds amazing and like too good to be my friend. <laughs> but so real too. And just as I've gotten to know Chrissy and her family, her beautiful family, and heard a little bit more about the story about how her family came to be what it is today. But there are still parts of the story that I don't know. So a little selfishly, I've invited Chrissy Durson to be on the show today to share more about her story. So welcome to the show, Chrissy. Thank you. I'm thrilled <laughs> to be here. Why don't we start out with your story? Going back to that first, you know, the first story that I heard when someone said, oh, that's my friend Chrissy. Sure. And she adopted when she was young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Adopted older children. Yeah. yeah. So when I was just out of college, I'd been out of college for a year. I moved out to Washington State, and I, my plan was just to go out there. I wasn't you know, tied down to anything. My plan mm-hmm. was just to go out there, substitute teach for a year, and just kind of you know, have some fun. My, my parents have a cabin out there, and it's um, part of the country that I love. And so, yeah, so I headed out there, and I was dating my husband at the time, but um, you know, we weren't engaged, so he was back in Minnesota. I moved out there. And started teaching. And mm-hmm. then that first year that I taught, my oldest daughter, Simone, was in my class. Okay. And so I got to know her and established um, a relationship with her. And then that summer, I started just, you know, kind of taking her out for dinner every once in a while and um, getting to know her better. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, uh, three weeks before our wedding, Mm-hmm. it became evident that she and her sister needed a new place to be. Mm-hmm. And so this was three weeks before my wedding, and I had planned to fly home for my wedding two weeks before. So it's one week. Before you're when, leaving. Right. It's mm-hmm. one week before I leave, and they are in immediate need of a new spot. And so the agreement at the time was that they, we would be, I would be, a place for them for 90 days. So that was the initial agreement, and that 90 days grew into... That was 18 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was three weeks before our wedding. And we, <laughs> yeah. So we, um, it was, and it was just one of those things where if, if you're going to do that, you, you really need to know that God's behind you, that mm-hmm. He's got your back for your own sake and for their sake. Right, you don't right, want right. to do that if you're not, so that's not what you're supposed to do, if that's not what you're being called to do. Right. And it was just so amazing just from the very beginning to see the Lord show up. My amazing mother in law, um, <laughs> this is an emotional thing to walk back down. Mm-hmm. Um, my amazing mother-in-law made them uh, bridesmaid dresses. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, ha- you know, prepared to have them stay with them while we went on our honeymoon. And um, and so you're in Washington and Lee's in Minnesota. And yeah. so what, so, sorry. like, what is the process with I Lee? S- I skipped the part where Lee moved out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So he wasn't 
yeah. So Lee has moved out in between me okay. coming out there and So he's me. been a little bit more yes. closer physically to the process. Right, yes. Okay. Sorry about that. So no, no, he no. was staying actually at my parents' cabin and was getting to know the girls along with me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was really neat. We so we had had our plane tickets, you know, for a while and mm-hmm. then needed these last minute tickets. And my dad was working on this for me as we were you know, figuring out other things. And he called me and said, Chrissy, there just are no t- there are no seats on, on any of these planes. And so I said, okay, I'm going to pray and you call again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I did. We prayed and, and my dad called again and there were, two, there were two tickets on our flight, two seats on our flight that had not existed, you know. Before. Right. And so we got to the airport and Lee and I kind of looked at each other and went, let's just get on that plane. Yeah. <laughs> Let's fill the seats. Yeah, and sure enough, once we got on that plane, the seats that had been printed for the girls did not actually exist on that plane. You know, there was no, that row with that letter did not exist on that plane, but we were on it. And so they said, well, we'll, you know, we'll make it work. And they Mm -hmm. did. Yeah, so from the very beginning, you know, just just this feeling that that God just, you know, had our back and walked with us and um, through... A series of a lot of decisions and a lot of prayer that that those ninety days turned into. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your home, and this is, and you are our kiddos, and this is where you were meant to be. Do you had you thought about adoption? I mean, was adoption mm-hmm. something that you before this had thought that you wanted to do? It was something yes that I always knew I would do. You know, and that Lee and I once we were engaged had talked about. Mm-hmm. So just not the timeline that we, of course, right. had anticipated. <laughs> like right before I get married. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, absolutely something that I'd always had a heart for. Just, yeah, just kind of always knew I would do. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, mm-hmm. so you adopted those two girls mm-hmm. and you're out in Washington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and newly married. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks a little different than the typical first year marriage. And mm-hmm. so, you know, Lee and I have always said that one thing... One thing we feel, there were some things that we, I think, misheard from God in that mm. in that time that we misinterpreted, and then some things that, um, you know, that we maybe heard correctly. And so we, we felt so clearly that God was, you know, a part of this, that this was something that we had prayed our way into and that we were walking through with him. And, you know, one thing we say is, Kind of that those first couple years of marriage where you figure out, you know, how not to argue about the socks on the floor and, mm-hmm. you know, how to communicate. And it was kind of like God just went here. I'm just going to give you that because you don't have time. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we've just always felt like that, that there's just been this, this grace. connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just complete grace. And we just, um, you know, really uh, some of those struggles that I know are, are very typical and very real in marriage. We just mm-hmm. kind of got to skip is the only way I know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a huge part of making, you know, that first year of marriage doable mm-hmm. with, um, you know, with two older kiddos who, of course, were dealing with a lot of hard and a right, lot of right. hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was interesting later in life, we kind of looked back and and realized that what we had what we had maybe misheard was if you do this I will make it up to you or mm-hmm. I will mm-hmm. I will give you that time back somehow okay and then later learning no that's that's a sacrifice we chose to make mm-hmm. and um that we had mistakenly maybe felt like we were <laughs> make swinging deals or something <laughs> I don't know you don't do that yeah, yeah, yeah. um it's intense to to walk through that in that in that first year of marriage and there's a lot that you learn when you adopt, there's a lot you learn when you adopt older kiddos who come with, come from hard places and, and come with hurt and hard things to process. And 
I mean, really, I think one of the big things we learn in adoption is we're all broken. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing I've learned about the Lord in the last few years with my kiddos, it's that God redeems what's broken, you know, and mm-hmm. he really mm-hmm. truly does. And so uh, we're mindful when we take adopted kiddos that they're from hard places and that they have things that are broken. But we also maybe sometimes forget to factor in how broken we are mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and what that looks like together. And so, yeah, so that first year of marriage, you know, walking with them through their brokenness and their hurt and then also, you know, as broken people ourselves was challenging to yeah. say the least and also hugely rewarding because of how exciting those successes for those kiddos are um, because you know how hard they fought for those successes right. you know you know how, how much work it, it takes for them you got married mm-hmm. you're living in Washington mm-hmm. you adopted these two mm-hmm. older girls mm-hmm. and I know that you also have now you also what your family looks like mm-hmm. is that you have adopted children and birthed children right so when did you know take us along how when did Aaliyah come along yes I guess. okay yeah sure yeah so my elevator speech is always that I have eight kiddos four special delivery and four homemade it's always <laughs> my, that's my quick <laughs> elevator speech so Aaliyah was born when oh this is when I need my big girls here I think they were 13 and 14 yeah so she came along when they were yeah two teenagers okay so mm-hmm. then you had her mm-hmm. and then what because then I know you adopted two more. Right, yeah. And they, yeah, so with, and Woodson and Trey came out of age order. So Leah was born, and we knew that we wanted to adopt again, and we wanted to foster adopt again, like we had the girls. Mm-hmm. And so we signed up to do that. And, you and know, you're out in Washington. Right, still out in Washington, Washington yeah. Okay. Signed up as foster parents. And um, a lot of people who hear our story with the older girls ask, how on earth did you have them? when you weren't foster parents, you know, when you weren't <laughs> registered foster parents. And that, that in and of itself is a long, crazy story. So we weren't foster parents when they came. Oh, okay. And, and I don't know, I can't imagine the circumstances that they kind of, you know, put together for the girls to be able to come to us. I, mm-hmm. can't, Im- I can't imagine that happening anymore. Right. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it did then. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to. And so we actually began the foster process when we had the older girls because we needed to become foster parents. Okay. So, yeah, so I had kind of forgotten that. So we we had already completed that process. Aaliyah was born, and then we, you know, said that we were ready to, you know, receive another kiddo and that we would were, would be interested in foster adopting. And we were actually really surprised with how kind of that we didn't have a whole lot of parameters mm-hmm. on who we were willing to, to have join us, that it took as long as it did. And I remember mm-hmm. really, you know, struggling with that. Why was this taking so long? And during that time, a girlfriend of mine was praying about adoption. Mm-hmm. And she has a real big family. And she said, Chrissy, I'm praying about, you know, adopting these kids. And she said, I'm going to ask you to pray for me because she said, anyone else will think I'm crazy. And I said, well, I think you're crazy, but I'll pray for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I prayed for her for a couple of weeks. And then I said, I have those kids on my mind so much. Can you give me because they were in international adoption. You know, is there mm-hmm. any, can I see the orphanage they're at? Or is there any, you know, website that has more information about that? And she gave me one and then she said, and here's another one that you, I just think you should look at. So I went on and, you know, I looked at where her kiddos were. And then I looked at this other website and I scrolled down and I saw, oh, I can still see mm-hmm. it. But I saw this picture of Woodson, mm-hmm. who is my um, 14 year old. And, you know, there he was staring at me on my computer screen. And I, I mean, I just, the only way I know how to explain it is I just I looked at it and I knew it was my son. I mean, mm-hmm. I just knew that was my kiddo. 
And so, um, bless Lee Durston's heart. (laughs) 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 At this point, we have three girls. We're waiting for a foster baby. And his wife is saying to him, honey, I am sure (laughs) that Mm -hmm. this baby in Haiti is our baby. You know, no money at that time for an international adoption. And, you know, Lee's absolutely wonderful. And he said to me, honey, I love kids. I'm pro-adoption. I believe in it. But I'm just not feeling call to this child in Mm -hmm. the same way that you are. And so that was, you know, a real challenge for me and just letting go Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, you can't adopt a child. And obviously, unless you're both 100% on board. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I let go of it a little bit and I was praying about it, but I knew I was still... I wasn't being fair. I was leaving this picture up on the, it was, right. Yeah, I was totally not fair. <laughs> and so, um, I, so I remember, you know, I remember sitting just in the, helping God change Julie's yeah, heart. <laughs> so not okay. Yeah. So eventually, I got to this point where I really did let go of it mm-hmm. and just kind of prayed about it and said, "Lord, this is yours." Interestingly enough, that Sunday, our our pastor gave just a an illustration, a story about some kiddos in Haiti, and just that just really touched Lee's heart and Lee. Um, you know, started just researching the situation in Haiti and mm-hmm. um, and why kiddos in Woodson's situation really needed help. And he came home from work one day and he said, you're right, that's our son. <laughs> yeah, and so, sorry. Nope, that's okay. You can take a minute if you <sighs> need to. So I kind of joke that I was like sitting there with my pen ready. Mm-hmm. But um, it was really, it was just God's timing is amazing because we were wondering what was taking so long with this foster placement. And had I had Trey come at that time, I wouldn't have had the amount of time I did to put Woodson's dossier together as quickly as we did. We were able to really get it done in a very short amount of time. And I went, I still remember I went to mail it at the um, FedEx store and the handing it. I mean, you just feel like your whole life is in that box. I mean, some of those documents are original. (laughs) And the 17-year-old kid on the other side of the counter said to me, ma'am, if you'd like me to mail this package, you're going to have to let go of it. Had a grip on it, you know? right? So, but well, we mailed that package, and the next morning, I got the call for Treg. Okay, and, you know, and it was just, it was amazing because that was that was in the mail. Woodson was in process, mm-hmm. and you know, had I gotten that foster call that I had wanted right. earlier, mm-hmm. I just would not have had the time. time. And I love that imagery of you. There's there's like a sermon illustration in there <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to let go of the let FedEx go. package. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, they called me at 10 in the morning for Treggy and uh, said, we have a kiddo here. Can you be here by noon? I lived on an island at the time. You could only get to by ferry. So I said, I will do okay. my best. And yeah. And there we were. Wow. And yeah. then how old was he? Was he was he... five months. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Treg was five months when he came. And then it took another year and a half for Woodson to come home. Mm-hmm. So how old was Woodson when he came? Woodson came home three weeks before he turned three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't realize I was, for some reason, I was thinking he was older yeah. than that. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now you're still in Washington. Yep. Still and in Washington. you have four special delivery. Four special delivery and one, one home day. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what is what is that looking like now? Because your girls are getting older mm-hmm. to be older teenagers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is that? What is that looking like? And then how did you end up coming back to Minnesota? After... We had known that we, our intention wasn't to be out on the West Coast forever. And actually, mm-hmm. if you would have told us at the time that we were out there, that we would have stayed for 15 years, we would have thought that that was absolutely, there was no way, you know, that that was impossible. It just wasn't in our plan. But we, you know, the big girls came and then it took three years to finalize their adoption. And then at that okay. point they were in middle school and it's like, my goodness, we're not going to move kids in the middle of middle school. Mm-hmm. The, with them, when the way they were done with high school, the 
the market kind of crashed. So then two years to sell our house. And, you know, anyway, 15 mm-hmm. years later, we came home. We came back. And that had always been the plan. That had always been the plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was just something that took kind of a lot longer than, you know, we had thought it would. So but was then, was Reichler born in Washington? Reichler was born in Washington. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are your older girls now out of the house by the time Reichler is born? Uh, Simone was out of the house and Selena was on her way out. So he was born in May and then okay. that summer was when she moved out. We had graduated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then when when did you move to back to Minnesota? So we moved back to Minnesota in 2012. Okay. So Reichler was four. And, you know, I listed the house when he was two and then took a couple years to sell it. And I, in that space of time, so Reichler was almost six when Story was born. So in that space of time between Reichler and Story, I had some major, major health issues. That's why there's a, a gap there that's oh, okay. as big as it is. Mm-hmm. And kind of some stuff I really didn't think I'd ever, you know, be able to find somebody that knew how to fix. Mm. And then I did. And I went, Lee, I'm 38. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, okay, so then we should finish the story. So then you have Reichler, story was born? 2013. Okay. Yep. And then? And then Matson in 2016, December. So the very end of 2016. 16. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then that rounds out the family. So do you feel like your family is is complete in that there there won't be any more children added through adoption or through special delivery or home baked? I don't feel that way. And I guess I wonder if if I ever will. I mean, mm. you know, I've had conversations with so many people who've told me, and then, you know, I just had that thing where you know you're done, you know? Oh. <laughs> I go, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking for it, but I've never felt it. So I don't know. I mean, I, I am always thinking, could we do one more? You know, mm-hmm. could we? And through some of the connections I have in life experiences, sometimes I'm aware of kiddos who could be the one more and right. aware of their needs. And so then that pushes me a little more to think, oh, man, could we do that? I have never had that feeling. But I do have definitely a feeling of I don't feel anything's lacking. You know, mm-hmm. I feel that right. contentedness. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. The question then of this, this main episode is what should I know about adoption? Mm-hmm. So are there things that you, because you have a wide range of experience, you've mm-hmm. adopted children that are older, you've adop- mm-hmm. adopted babies, you've done international, domestic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there, so thinking about somebody who is considering to adopt, what's something that you would want to say to them? Mm-hmm. Or someone who's maybe in the trenches mm-hmm. of adoption, mm-hmm. what would you say? Mm-hmm. I think that the two things that I feel are the most paramount and most important, they go together and it's so important that they're said together. Mm-hmm. And those two things are that adoption is 100% worth it and adoption is really hard. Mm-hmm. It can be really hard. And I think that that that, that information is, is super important for the person who's considering adoption and is also important and validating for the person who's in the trenches because I think mm-hmm. that Adoption is, you know, God's heart is for the orphan, and we know that, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so adoption is so wonderful, and it's beautiful, and I believe that wholeheartedly. And sometimes I think that we are a little afraid to say out loud how hard it is mm. because we feel then that we're not, that we are uh, maybe discounting how beautiful and how wonderful it is. And unlike some things in life, it can be both of those at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes I come home and say to my husband, you know, when people have asked me who are considering adoption, I say, oh, my word, I hope I don't sound like the big dark cloud, but I feel like saying how hard it is sometimes is, 
I say it because it's really fair Mm -hmm. for someone to know that. And going in well prepared Mm -hmm. is such a gift and is so important. It's a gift to the adoptive parents. It's a gift to the adoptive child. And if we can kind of understand some of the challenges that really do come with it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, then it's it also helps us to understand just the need for that level of preparation. And I think also for the person who's in the trenches, it's just important for us to say out loud to each other, this is really, really hard. There are some really challenging things Mm -hmm. that come along with this. And I think that um, one thing that's important in adoption is we don't need to be afraid of hard, but we need to be prepared for hard, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's, it's Mm -hmm. okay to, it's okay to say it out loud and it doesn't need to scare us. It's just, Um, you know, knowledge is power in that situation. And at the same time, it is incredibly beautiful Mm -hmm. and amazing, you know, to watch kiddos grow in who they are as individuals and also in becoming a part of, you know, making a new family Mm -hmm. by, Mm -hmm. you know, adding um, a new individual or individuals into that family and just seeing there's so many things from scripture and from God's heart for us as children that we see played out and lived out Mm -hmm. in adoption. Mm -hmm. And um, so many things we learn about love and what it really means. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and all of these things go both ways. Like I said, we, we as adoptive parents and as people are broken. And, and when we see, if we can really truly believe that God is who he says he is mm-hmm. and that he does redeem what's broken, we can just appreciate and soak up this beauty in adoption. And I just... I'm a big believer that both of those things mm-hmm. are Need important to, hand in hand, right. to say out loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And it is it is really hard. And sometimes it doesn't work out. And I feel like mm-hmm. it's important mm-hmm. to acknowledge that, too, mm-hmm. that yes. sometimes a family adopts a child and then I don't know what the legal term is, isn't uh, able to keep rel- the child. Relinquishment, I yes. think, is okay. the, usually the term that's used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. then would be... A, a whole nother level of mm-hmm. hard for yeah. everybody. Yeah, and a loss to mourn. And yeah. Yes. And I think another thought along those lines as far as, especially for people still considering adoption well, and also encouragement for those, lots of times the question, especially for people considering maybe um, an older child adoption or kiddos from hard places, is what is the effect on kids already in the home? Mm-hmm. You know, whether those are biological kids or, you know, kids who were adopted a while ago. You know, what is the balance there of how much we can ask of our kids? Right. Because, you know, as parents, it's this balance of there's one thing. It's one thing to ask things of ourselves and to, to choose to make sacrifices ourselves. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we have a family unit and we're choosing to add a kiddo to that unit, especially if that child has come from hard places, we're, we are making sacrifices ourselves and we are also asking our kiddos, our children, to make that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there's kind of a couple of things to consider there. The first one being that safety is of utmost importance. And so that's why it's so important to really know and have the knowledge that we might need about what that child's previous life experiences have been and what safety for everyone in the home will mm-hmm. look like. Mm-hmm. And so obviously that's of paramount importance. But beyond that, I do, um, I think it's important to know that sometimes it's, it is okay to ask a lot of our kids. Mm-hmm. It's okay to ask them to make big sacrifices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay to ask them to hurt a little for the hurting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's really neat is that um, God can handle that. He can take that and he can 
he can grow that in their lives mm -hmm. into um, just a heart for him and a belief that God can be trusted and a belief that he does redeem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, as parents are, we have such an instinct to protect, which is completely natural and totally understandable. Mm -hmm. It's really, really hard to ask our kids to do hard things. Mm -hmm. I think it's harder to ask our kids to do hard things than it is to do the hard things ourselves. But um, I also think that, you know, within reason, in, in, in a situation that's safe, if we are willing to ask our kiddos to do those hard things and to look on, you know, look at um, people who are broken and realize our own brokenness and walk alongside them, that the blessing and the growth that they receive in return is I think often more than we ever could have imagined. Mm. And that is with full acknowledgement that in some situations it is simply too much to ask of them, you know, too much to handle or unsafe mm -hmm. and, you know, full acknowledgement of that. But if it is something that will stretch them but not break them, it can um, it can really be beautiful mm -hmm. and be a blessing. Mm -hmm. I've heard recently someone say it that because there is a point, there is a time in parenting where it's about protecting the child. Right. Protecting yeah, the toddler from not touching the oven yeah. or the stove yeah. or mm -hmm. walking, going, going downstairs or upstairs when mm -hmm. they're not really able to do that. Mm -hmm. But to go from protecting them to preparing them for mm -hmm. the world that we live in. Yeah. And so that's what I love about what you're saying is preparing them for the world we live in to see to see the broken yeah. and to, to know that that can be redeemed. It won't always be redeemed. Oh. And sometimes it'll just always be hard. Right. But mm -hmm. there's that possibility and that heart for Absolutely. the other. Yes, and the confidence that it builds in them and in the Lord to realize that they they really can look at what's broken and walk through it. You mm -hmm. know, that they, they are capable of that is really an amazing, amazing thing to learn about themselves. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. I think as a parent, it's, it's a, what you're saying is it's important. It's important. To, and we're kind of getting off topic. It's important to let our children suffer mm -hmm. and to right. to navigate difficult things. Right. And I feel like it's also really important to do that when the stakes are low and when they're within mm -hmm. the household. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Training wheels. Are there other things that we haven't asked or other things that we haven't talked about that you felt like as when I asked you to, to do this, mm -hmm. I really want people to know these things yeah. that we haven't talked about yet? I think the biggest thing that I have learned and the biggest thing if I could go back and talk to 24-year-old Chrissy <laughs> who was starting marriage with two kiddos is just how important it is to as much as possible understand trauma and what that looks like and what that how much it changes parenting. Mm. So especially for older kiddos who come from hard places, it, it would be very unlikely for an older child to need a new home who has not experienced some level of trauma. Right. Karen Purvis out of TCU um, has a book called The Connected Child. She so sadly um, passed away recently. Her study and work goes on at TCU with the um, department that she developed there. And then they um, do conferences called Empowered to Connect and just the information available there and kind of around that sphere, that same conversation around trauma. Mm -hmm. It's just so absolutely important and um, completely in so many ways changes the way we respond to a child mm -hmm. who is um, disobedient or acting out. And that can be a really hard thing as a parent to rewire 
the way that you parent and, and the way that you interact. It's, mm-hmm. um, it can be super counterintuitive and honestly very humbling. I mean, if there's one thing that I, I mean, one of the one of the biggest things I think that I have had to walk through is just Chrissy, humble thyself, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we as parents really, um, it is hard to not get caught up in looking to our children's behavior and their responses as an indicator of how we're doing as parents. That's mm-hmm. a really hard thing to let go mm-hmm. of. And it's a really awesome and cool thing to be proud of our kids. But one thing I know that I can really struggle with wandering into is an unhealthy sense of pride that wanders into my self-worth or my um, you know, self, how I think Your of identity. myself. Mm-hmm. Yes, being based on my kiddos, how they're doing, you know. And um, behaving, responding, and things like that. And it's really um, just, it's been a huge, huge learning curve to learn about trauma, begin to understand it, and begin to look at and understand what a child who's experienced trauma needs Mm -hmm. and how differently that they function. And um, I think for anyone considering adoption of um, a child from a hard place, just the, just to be able to equip yourself with that knowledge ahead of time, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of ways, it's new information. It's new knowledge. You know, this is a whole new conversation in the adoption and therapy world. And to be able to equip yourself with that um, knowledge ahead of time is really, really huge. I think some of us who are geared to take on adopted kiddos are kind of geared to really trust the way we run things and the, you know, Mm. (laughs) kind of how I know how to run this operation. Mm -hmm. And um, it can be a little, it can kind of dismantle things to realize the way I'm running this operation does not work for this child Mm. and is not addressing their trauma Mm -hmm. and needs to be completely reworked. And that can be really, really challenging. Yeah, I mean, even as a even as a parent of children who have not experienced trauma, mm-hmm. that it's really easy to know you will obey. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I said, move, <laughs> you right. need to move. Yeah, yeah. And just it's something that I've learned is trying to understand what's going on. Right. Is it really, yeah. is it really willful disobedience? Mm-hmm. Or it might even be willful disobedience, but is it because there's something deeper going on that's right. not spoken? Is what's there some the unspoken broken yeah. that needs to be brought to the surface? Totally. What's the need behind this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And this is a great spot in this conversation to say we're focused on adoption, but these struggles are not all unique to adopted kids. Mm-hmm. And in no way do I mean to imply. <laughs> yeah. No, but know. there is a whole new set. They're adopted because there was some kind yes. of rejection. Yes. Yes. And that actually hits on one of, as I was thinking about having this conversation with you today, you know, and thinking, what are some things I, you know, want to make sure I say? And that is probably one of the hardest things I've learned, but I think one of the most important is that every adopted child needs it acknowledged that adoption is plan B. Plan A was better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is really, really hard to say out loud sometimes, mm-hmm. but they desperately, desperately need to hear us say, I understand that the plan, the way the world was set up to work, Mm-hmm. was that the person who brings you into the world takes care of you mm-hmm. and keeps you safe. Mm-hmm. That's how it's supposed to happen, and that would have been better. Mm-hmm. And that is a really 
um, one of the hardest things I think I had to learn to say out loud, some of the hardest conversations I've had with my kiddos, but also some of the most rewarding and and um, probably what really helps an adopted child to trust their parent is to hear them say that. Because to hear an adoptive parent say anything else is so invalidating for that kiddo because they know, they know in their the core of their person, they know that's the way it was supposed to go. And if we... Um, you know, when we say things so well-meaning, but that can communicate, no, no, this is this was the best plan. <laughs> and um, are you we, kidding? Look at everything I'm doing. <laughs> like this is so I'm hard. Working my tail off. Right, right, right. And so to be able to communicate uh, simultaneously. I am so thrilled you're here. I love you to pieces. I wouldn't want you anywhere else in the whole entire world because you are mine, my mind, and I understand mm-hmm. that. Plan A would have been your dream, and that would have been better. And I'm so sorry, you know. And so I think that that's an important thing to learn how to say out loud. Mm-hmm. I I actually um, sent a message to my older girls and asked them, "Is there anything that you think you know I should definitely mm-hmm. be sure to say?" And they just said how important it is in an older child adoption to acknowledge that that child has come from a whole different world, different family, different culture. And, you know, whether or not that's different ethnically, culturally, every family has its own culture. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way that when we're married, we learn about each other's culture and we learn to live with each other. And there are things that don't just come naturally. We have to work at them, Mm -hmm. you know, acknowledging that really proactively with older kiddos is important. I think that for parents who are looking to adopt or looking to adopt again, I think it's important to to think through and talk with your support network before you adopt mm-hmm. ahead of time and um, and make sure that you have the support that you would need. And, you know, different adoptive situations need different levels and different kinds of support, you know, mm-hmm. and so as mm-hmm. much as you can understand about, ahead, about that ahead of time. I just had a conversation actually with my 16-year-old this week where she said, Mom, I think one of the coolest things about our generation is that we can talk out loud about therapy like we would talk about going to the doctor for a hurt leg, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And she said, I just think it's so cool that there's a comfort level around that. And and I think that that's really an important thing for us as adoptive families just to really pour into the culture around our kids that therapy is great, it's normal, it's helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, as adoptive parents, it's just, you know, to embrace that trauma and attachment really needs therapy <laughs> yeah. and it's okay and it's great and i think everybody needs therapy hey, but absolutely like everybody well yes. I, I should say i think everybody well, i think everybody can benefit at some from point it. yes mm-hmm. yes for sure and so walking through that with our kiddos i think is just a huge gift to them i think that looking ahead of time at kind of where our respite will be in mm. you know in this situation you know if it's needed and planning that is a big deal and i think some as small or as big as whatever size it comes in some retreat before that um, child is added to the home, you know, just Mm -hmm. to really think through, you know, and have that conversation um, as a couple or for, you know, a single parent with your, you know, support network, just kind of what is this going to look like for us? And, you know, what are we, how are we going to best prepare ourselves and, you know, walk through this together? Yeah. Well, if there are like the TCU that you talked about in the book and Mm -hmm. other resources, Mm -hmm. if you can get those to me, then I'll make sure that they're I'll put them in the show notes if yeah. anyone wants to be able to access those. Great. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
This is called Retreat House Podcast. Mm-hmm. So I ask all my guests, how do you retreat? Mm-hmm. Is it a place? Is it a practice? What does it look like with your, especially with your big family? Yeah, I kind of have a like a, a two-part answer to that. The first mm-hmm. one is I just, I try really hard. Probably in reality happens about three times a week, but three to four times a week. But um, when my one-year-old goes down for his nap, mm-hmm. you know, I've, that kind of 30 to 45 minutes is like, you know, me on the couch <laughs> with my book and my tea. And my big kids know if they have a question, you know, I tell them blood, vomit, or fire. Those mm-hmm. are the three, you know, <laughs> or broken bone. <laughs> that's the point. But, um, you know, other than that, that's just kind of my time to take a deep breath and um, refresh. And if I miss that, I really feel it. You know, mm-hmm. the days where I um, am able to add that in and the days where I can't or don't, um, you know, have a big difference. And then the second is my folks have a, a cabin out in Puget Sound, which is our family calls it our favorite place on earth. And it mm-hmm. is really, you know, we really do just unwind when we go there. And that is a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you get to spend a chunk of time we there We do, usually, yeah. My nice. husband works from home mostly or he can work remotely. And mm-hmm. so when we go, he, yeah, he works from the tool shed. Says he, he says if the gas fumes get too bad, he cracks the window. But um, <laughs> or sends some really interesting emails. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that that place is a real blessing. We're very grateful for it. And then my other question is, if you were to use the hashtag Celebrate Weird mm-hmm. to describe something about yourself, what would mm-hmm. it be? All about myself. Oh. So I thought of something about my family. Is that oh, fair yeah, or does it yeah. need to be? Well, okay. I want both. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So about myself, I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, love the smell of skunk. Absolutely love it. Seriously? I really, truly do. <laughs> <laughs> and and I just really do. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's not normal. No. Nope. It's unusual. That, that fits. <laughs> but <laughs> that's my hashtag. Okay. And... Yeah. So, and then as far as our family, we, I don't, I mean, this has been, Reichler's almost 10 and it, I think it was before him. So when the kids were little and it would be like a, a birthday or, a, you know, something where you open presents, they'd be so excited, you know, they'd just be banging on the table. And mm-hmm. and then one time they started chanting, you know, open your present. And so now at any family celebration anything that involves a gift, everybody starts out really slow, pounding on the table, chanting, and it gets louder and louder until it's just this kind of crazy, Chaos. like, yeah, screaming, <laughs> pounding, <laughs> frenzy. And, um, yeah, and so when we have new little ones, it's, you know, there's kind of this process where first it scares them, right. and then they just stare, <laughs> and then they, just, like, join in. And then they're like, oh, this yeah, is my oh, family. Oh, I'm a Durston. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is what we do. This, this is, is the culture of our family. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. I Thank felt you like for I, having me. Yeah, I selfishly said I wanted to hear more of your story. Mm-hmm. And I just have enjoyed watching your family because I feel like for those of us, so we go to church together, I don't know that I said that. For those of us that get to go to church with you and some other families that have adopted, we get to see this beautiful example of the of what God does for us mm. played out right in front of us. Mm. And I'm sure it doesn't feel like all grace in the process, which we talked Some about for the last the whole episode. Right. But to see it all play out and, and to see all your kids, mm. whether they're homemade or special delivery, are the Durston kids. Mm. And they're just all a family. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Mm. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Retreat House podcast. Any links mentioned in the show can be found in the show notes. 
We want to thank Isaac Turley for his music at the beginning and end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, and we'll see you next week on the Retreat House Podcast. Thank you.